Good morning. Beautiful day. If I'm moving around, it's because the sun is moving right in my right eye. <laughs> oh, does he? Yeah, okay. I'll try that. That might help. Shall we pray together? Lord God, we thank you for this beautiful winter's day. We thank you for the cold, fresh morning. We thank you for the blue sky and the sun shining on us. We are so grateful. We pray that you would shine on us now through the love and guidance of your spirit. Grow us to be increasingly like you, our heavenly Father. We want to be children who reflect the Father's goodness that we've just sung about and his grace and love for the world. Grow us and change us in Jesus' name. Amen. The challenge in preparing any sermon is to discover the essence of God's message for that congregation from that passage of Scripture on that day. Most will never remember the detail in a sermon, but everyone should be able to remember the main point. And the purpose of the detail is there to underline and bring out that main point. When Richard asked me to preach today, he said it's Philippians chapter 4, and I thought, oh, that'll be easy. I think I've preached Philippians a number of times. And in chapter 4, I'm sure there are at least four or five sermons in that chapter that I could preach on. But it took me a bit of an effort to discern what the key message was today for Ormiston Community Baptist Church. After thinking and praying, and listening, I believe the key message for this church today is that God's central purpose for you is your personal growth in maturity. And this can only happen in the context of relationship in the family of God. God's plan for every one of you, every one of us, is that we will grow increasingly like Jesus. We've been adopted into the family of God, and our Heavenly Father wants us to grow up in the family likeness. This is more important to Him than our careers, our retirement savings plans, our ministries, our upcoming uh, overseas holidays, our qualifications. Above everything else, God wants us. God wants you to grow to be like Jesus. And this can only happen in the context of your relationships with other members of the family of God. So let me read the first part of Philippians chapter 4. Sam's going to flick it up on the overhead. 
Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. This is how God sees you, just as with Paul's describing it. He sees you, his joy and his crown. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge you, Euodia, and I urge Suntake to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. If our personal growth in Christ-likeness happens in the context of being in the family of God and all the relationship things that happen with those, then reconciling broken relationships must provide a wonderful opportunity for growth in Christ-likeness. Conflict destroys and damages relationships. Pick up the next one, Sam. Conflict destroys relationships and so damages the opportunity for us to grow to be like Christ. In fact, conflict can tear a church apart. We've all been hurt by conflict, but reconciliation is right at the heart of the gospel. And God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, says Paul to the warring Christians at Corinth. And he goes on to say, and he is entrusting the ministry of reconciliation to us. Reconciling broken relationships provides a wonderful opportunity for growth in Christ-likeness. The Philippians had fallen into conflict several times in the letter already, and you would have seen that in previous sermons in this series, that Paul challenged them about conflict. You remember some of the, some of the phrases, be of the same mind, do nothing from selfish ambition, regard others as better than yourselves, look after the interests of others, no murmuring or mumbling about each other. All those are in chapter 2. And in chapter 1, 
he tells them of his own almost unbelievable experience of Christians in Rome deliberately preaching publicly in a way that would get Paul into more trouble that he was already in with the authorities. Now that seems totally bizarre, but bizarre conflicts happen all the time in churches, and they tear churches apart. Paul is urging this church at Philippi to do whatever is needed to sort out the conflict. Now we Christians are sinful human beings, and we are very vulnerable to getting offside with other Christians. Getting into conflict is a normal, is a, is a very human experience. It's common. It's almost normal human behavior. But we belong to the family of God. And because of who we are, sons and daughters of God himself, we must bring about peace, real peace, not just pretending the situation never happened and moving on, sweeping conflict under the rug and acting as if it never happened is not God's ministry of reconciliation. It may not be possible to change all the flow-on effects of conflict. Maybe we can't fix all the outcomes. Perhaps we don't need to. But it's possible to own our own part in conflict and to understand the effects that our actions have on others. It's possible to explain to others how their actions have affected us. It's possible to extend the understanding amongst us of things that happen and why. And that is the groundwork for reconciliation. Reconciling broken relationships provides a wonderful opportunity for growth in Christ-likeness. Deliberately, deliberately become part of the work of reconciling conflict and division, and you will grow increasingly like Jesus. Do you remember in the Beatitudes, early on in Matthew's Gospel, and Jesus lists the, all the blesseds, and he said, blessed are the peacemakers. Can anyone finish it? For they will be? No. I heard it over there. They will be called the children of God. The peacemakers will be seen for being the children of God because bringing peace makes us increasingly Christ-like and the world will see it. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Paul, in this letter to the Philippians in chapter 4, the passage I've just read, gives three little strategies to use. In the family of God, when conflict emerges, and it does because we're human, when conflict emerges, the involvement of others is needed to move towards reconciliation and peace. Once conflict has developed and infected a relationship, it is very hard for the participants to put it right. 
Going by the number of times that Paul addresses relationship issues in this letter, there must have been a number of things going on. But he's quite specific in the passage that we read in calling out two who were struggling with each other. He urges two, two women, Euodia and Suntike, to be of the same mind. He does not say what the issue is, but obviously they have different viewpoints on something, and different viewpoints lead to different practices, and different practices often lead to interpersonal strife. It's interesting that these two are not new or inexperienced Christians. Look at the passage again. They were Paul's committed co-workers in the church. And more than that, Paul stresses their names are written in the book of life. They are established as sisters in the family of God forever. But still, they've got to the situation. And Paul urges them to work out their differences, but they need help to do that. It's very hard to do it alone. So Paul calls on other leaders to get involved and support them both on the hard road of reconciliation. It's a hard road. In the early hours of New Year's Day, 1967, our family were on a ship called the Fair Sea and we were docking at Melbourne, at the harbour there. We were coming back from spending a year in the UK where my dad had been studying to get another degree. And uh, in Melbourne, my father has 100, not 1,000, 100 first cousins in Melbourne. Most of them have gone to heaven by now. It's rather a large family. But we were meeting there. He had written to them both, two of his dad's younger brothers. My grandfather had five brothers and five sisters, which helped contribute to the 100 first cousins. And my grandmother had 14 in her family, 16 in her family. Anyway, that's not the story. Dad had written to the two brothers, and we'd made arrangements to meet them. We met one and his family at 11 a.m. in the morning, and he gave us a full-on New Year's dinner, roast turkey and the whole nine yards. At 2 p.m., we went to the other family, and we had a full-on New Year's dinner with roast something else in the whole nine yards. I thought that heaven had arrived on earth. <laughs> the two brothers met us completely separately. We realized that they hadn't spoken to each other for 30 years or more. That evening, both families came down to farewell us as the ship left the harbor and headed for, for Sydney and then on to, on to Wellington. Both brothers met each other for the first time in 30-something years at that farewell and started talking and reconnected their friendship and their brother relationship in their old age. It took outsiders to make it happen. Now, we didn't expect that, but God used outsiders to bring those two together again. Paul gives the, the task of reconciling Euodia and Syntyche to a specific member of the church leadership, one who Paul considered his own partner in the work leading this church and told him to get involved in their lives. The involvement of others outside of the conflict 
is almost always needed to work towards reconciliation and peace. The second one, reconciliation isn't just a human task. Paul urges the church to bring every issue of concern to God through prayer. That verse that we read is the most wonderful encouragement to bring everything to him in prayer. He wants to be invited into the most difficult situations in his family. Don't try to resolve things by ourselves, especially issues of conflict. Bring every issue to him through prayer. But Paul gives a specific way of doing that. He starts by saying, rejoice. And then he says, I'll say it again, rejoice. In the end, God has every situation in his hand. So rejoice. Don't worry about the outcome. God will ultimately sort it. Relax and be confident in him. He's in this. Carefully and clearly lay out all the need, the problems and the needs before God. Ask for what you think will solve those problems. But as you do that, Paul says, give thanks for the multiple things that God has done already for you. Pray with thanksgiving, don't worry, lay it before God. Giving thanks enables us to see this current problem, see its scale within the context of the whole thing that God is doing with us. It enables us to see the thing that it's perhaps not all-encompassing, that God is doing a much bigger thing. You can see that how that process grows our faith in Him. And our faith will continue to grow because God always responds. The outcome may not be what we expect. The original situation may not be fixed in the way we hope. Often we cannot go back and change the outcomes of the past. The damage has been done and the losses have been incurred. But we can go forward from where we are now, reconciled and in peace. The outcome will be that the peace of Christ will overrule the situation and we will be able to move forward together. The peace that surpasses understanding guarding our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So don't worry. Give thanks for everything and ask God to help. Third strategy, when you're battling something difficult, deliberately focus your mind on good things. It's very easy for in the middle of a struggle, for all the negative aspects of that struggle, to take over your thinking completely and crowd out the full reality of what God is enabling you to experience. Conflict is debilitating. It dominates life, dominates our minds, and we begin to see only that situation. We do need to be realistic and address issues, dress the issues, rather than pretending they aren't there. But don't let those troubles take over everything we think and talk about. Deliberately look for good things in every sphere of life and fill our minds with these. 
you can feel the transformation as it happens. I had a little experience of this um, a couple of months back. Wasn't in a conflict situation, but I was feeling a little bit down with Jeanette in hospital for the second time in a month. And uh, was thinking, you know, where are we going with this? So I received a, an encouraging text from my sister who said, you've had the last nine months has been terrible with you having your big back operation and slowly learning how to walk again. And now Jeanette being hospitalized. And, and I thought about it. It made me think about the previous year. True, Jeanette was in serious, uh, having serious treatment in hospital and I had had to really learn how to walk again after my back operation. But I thought about that year. In the middle of my back traumas, I went on a sailing ship and explored the Great Barrier Island. Just um, the timing of our illnesses were wonderful, so I managed to do that before I had to go to hospital, even though I could hardly walk on the deck of the boat. At Christmas time, we'd been able to have our grandchildren with us for more than a week. And then Jeanette had gone down south to Clarence, of all places, where we took the wedding of Ruth Nixon. Remember Ruth? Ruth was a member of this church for the first three years of its existence. And she got married in, uh, in January, um, which was a privilege for us because Ruth had been our son Tony's girlfriend for a, a period up till the time he died. Um, then we had the most wonderful holiday in Clarence. At the end of the last winter, after my operation and recovery, I'd managed to ski half a day at the Remarkables. Jeanette and I had had the opportunity to fly in, in December to Brisbane to attend her sister's 50th wedding anniversary. As I thought about all the good things that had happened, and there were dozens of others as well, my mind changed from feeling a little bit crushed to feeling held in the hand of God. Fill your minds with the good things. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things and keep on doing them. The message in chapter 4 is not just about recognizing negative relationship issues and providing guidance for growth through these. The final section in the letter is the most wonderful passage on personal growth in the context of very positive relationships in the family of God. Paul is thanking the church of Philippi for financial support. He's in jail in Rome. Roman jails don't supply anything apart from shackles and a guard. So if you want to survive and not starve to death, or have some clothes, or have some letters to write letters to your church, some paper to write letters to your churches, you need to have some very good friends. The Philippians had sent him, with a guy called Epaphroditus, some um, support for all those things. So let me read you that second half of the chapter. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you've received your concern, that I have that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I'm referring to being in need, for I've learnt to be, in, be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any 
and in all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. That's a picture of maturity. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In any case, it was kind of you to share my distress. You Philippians indeed know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you alone. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs more than once. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that accumulates to your account. I've been paid in full. I have more than enough. I'm fully satisfied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The friends who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of the emperor's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Paul's message is a message of thanks, but it's also a message celebrating the growth that happens when we work together to enable each other to reach the potential that God has built into each of us. That's why our growth happens together. We enable each other to reach our potential. The Philippians, very new Christians, had enabled Paul to fulfill his calling, to reach his potential on several occasions. By their support, they had enabled him to preach through Greece and plant several churches. Now they had sent gifts with one of their members, Epaphroditus, who brought them more than a thousand kilometers by ship and on foot to enable Paul to face perhaps his toughest challenge, his trial before the Emperor Nero, a bloodthirsty madman who would ultimately execute him. While Paul was waiting for his trial, his daily needs were being met by the Christian communities, the ones he was in partnership with. It was not a period of inactivity for Paul. During this time, he planted another church among the people of the household of Nero himself. God's amazing, isn't he, in signaling who actually is Lord around here, and it wasn't Nero. Paul was also pastoring several churches remotely through his letters and his prayers. Paul takes the opportunity to thank the Philippians for being with him through their support. And he highlights three things about participating in each other's lives through giving and receiving. Thanks. The first is that Christian maturity means that what God is doing gets done irrespective of the obvious resources that are available or not available. The point for Paul was not so much that his discomfort was being alleviated, although he was grateful for the gifts, 
He said he was not really pushing for the gift because he had come to know how to get on and do what he needed to do, whether he was rich or whether he was poor, whether he was hungry or well-fed. All he needed to do, all he needed to function was to know that he was doing what Christ wanted from him. And he sums it up with that wonderful line, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If Christ is calling us into something, he will supply what we need. Discovering that and learning to rely on it is a central part of the process of growing in Christian maturity. The second little thing that Paul underlines he says that his real satisfaction was the gift with the gift was that by res- supplying resources the church at Philippi had become part of his mission at Rome in a very real way just as they had been part of his church planting work in Greece neither now they were part of his work in Rome and God was attributing to the Philippians a real share in the success of the work, and he would record them, he would reward them accordingly. Paul wanted to highlight to the Philippians that just as God had met Paul's needs through them, they could see how God worked, and they could learn confidence that when they had a need, God would address that in an equally life-giving way. And Paul writes another line, And my God, another wonderful line, and my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This very positive relationship between people in the family of God was bringing about Paul's reaching of his fulfillment. It was starting new Christians in the most unlikely place. It was writing parts of the New Testament, because that's where Paul wrote a number of his letters, and reciprocally, it was enabling the Christians at Philippi to grow in maturity and Christ-likeness as they saw that when God calls them, he would also provide everything that was needed, irrespective of the obvious circumstances, that God was rewarding them as they enabled others to reach their potential, and that they could have confidence that he will provide for their need when they had it. So to finish, my conclusion, two questions. Thanks, Sam, we'll flick them up. Are any conflicts troubling you? And the ones that need work on are the ones that lurk in the back of your mind and don't go away. If they're troubling you, they need work. If you've forgotten them and they're in the past history and you never think about them, they're resolved. Bringing reconciliation to these situations will cause everyone concerned to grow in Christ-likeness. If you think about that, perhaps the situation is actually a God-given opportunity for you to become a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. The second question, in what ways 
Are you being given a chance to help someone else achieve their God-given potential? Tony's out there now helping some of your Cambodian folk achieve their God-given potential through unfolding the scripture to them in a different context. And you know something else that's happening out there? They will be blessing Tony and helping him to grow in his ministry of teaching. It's always reciprocal. In what ways are you being given a chance to help someone else to achieve their God-given potential? At the same time, God is using others to help you achieve the potential that he's built into you. And he's doing it according to his riches in glory. You are children of God and you are inheriting everything that he has. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your wonderful grace to us. We thank you for the challenging experiences that we've gone through. We thank you for the times of wonderful blessing that we've gone through. And we ask that as we grow in our knowledge of Jesus, that we may grow more like him, that as we experience whatever life's path takes us through, that we would increasingly see his hand in our lives and see him working through us. Lord, may we learn to bless your world as he does. Grow us in Christ's likeness. In Jesus' name, amen.